0: Hello and welcome to the Single Mothers by Choice podcast, the podcast that shares stories, science and removes the stigma around pursuing a family as a single woman, where we break down the research that might support your journey to fertility whilst normalising the scary stuff that comes with it. If you love it, feel free to share it, even like and review if you're feeling generous and reach out to my socials and website in the show notes. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and a recovering perfectionist and secret shamekeeper. So let's begin! This episode is for anyone who is considering freezing their eggs or going down the single mother by choice journey and they're not sure what to do. The only mistake women can really make is not to get the appropriate information to help them make an educated choice. I saw that quote when I started to look up and research about my own journey And it really resonated. And a lot of you have reached out to me on social media and asked me about making the decision to either freeze your eggs or to go down this journey yourselves. And so I thought it was only apt, given that I put the content out that I think that you want to hear, that I talk about things to consider how to know whether to freeze your eggs, how to know whether it's the right thing for you, how to know whether actually it's time to start your single mother by choice journey or how to know if actually it's a good time just to hold off. So I've got five things to consider. I'm sure I will do another podcast on another five things because of course it is a minefield and there are so many things to consider. I think I wanted to go a little bit beyond common sense because I'm assuming that most of you have more common sense than I do. Um, I genuinely believe that the more book smart you become, the less common sense you have. I don't think there's just enough space in the brain. That's what I'm going with and I'm I'm going to stick to it. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the numbers and logistics, really. So some of this stuff is more kind of factual, but I think that they're facts that To be honest, I think you need to hear. The first thing to consider is, are you in a rush to do it? Now, when I turned 30, I was very, very aware of the narrative that fertility drops off a cliff when you're 35. That if you don't have a baby before you're 35, then you're in trouble. And in fact, I remember that narrative well before I was turned 35, so much so that I'd always had that number in my head of when I turn 35 I'll do something about it Um, and I don't really think it's helpful to say that it's rubbish, it's not super accurate um, but it's not complete rubbish either and I think that I think that telling women that it's rubbish doesn't help anyone because it doesn't lead us to make choices that are informed it just scares us or doesn't scare us it's just the opposite it lets us kind of sit back and think well maybe i can just wait a little bit longer um there are known natural declines in fertility and these are just kind of the natural declines there might be other underlying causes um that can contribute to infertility as well some of them you may know for example pcos some of them might be underlying that you're not aware of And if we look at one, the number one being the gold standard fertility, so in your 20s, let's say you have a number of one, that is kind of optimal fertility in your early 20s. At 35, the relative fertility rate is about 0.5, so half of that. And at 40, the relative rate is 0.1. So just for reference, the relative rate is basically compared is your fertility rate compared to the to the optimal rate of one in your twenties? It's like an arbitrary number. So if you were looking at a graph across your twenties, you'd see like this almost horizontal line through your twenties, and that horizontal line would be at one. And then by the time you're in you're about thirty five, that's dropped to about zero point five. And by the time you're in your forties, it's dropped to about zero point one. Now, this is dependent on lifestyle factors, genetics, and other factors. There's not a huge point in me saying kind of the natural conception rates throughout the ages because that's not really what we're talking about here when it comes to freezing your eggs or single mother by choice. As women, we're born with a fixed number of what we call immature eggs in our ovaries at birth. The number of eggs decreases as we get older and roughly at birth, we start with about 2 million eggs. This tends to drop to about 400,000 in our kind of adolescent years. And then at age 37, there's about 25,000 eggs left. By about age 51, when we've gone through our menopause or we've experienced menopause, we have about 1,000 immature eggs, but those eggs are not fertile. But the, the overall number of eggs decreases, you can see drastically, but at the same time, egg quality reduces with age <clears throat> and eggs can become less viable over time. All other things being equal, the number and the quality of women's eggs determines her fertility. So again, there are potentially other things that might be going on there, but if they're all kind of quote-unquote normal, it's the number and the and the quality of eggs. So if we're looking at specifically Um, age in relation to egg freezing i wanted to just bring your attention to some data that we have in terms of egg freezing it suggests that a woman's age at egg thawing so once we've taken the eggs out of the freezer a woman's age at thaw has very little impact on the woman's chances of success but the age at which you freeze your eggs does and it does look like there's a significant impact and a significant difference between under 35 years old and over 35 years old in terms of um, natural conception rate. So if you are going to freeze your eggs, it's, uh, it's really optimal to be doing this under the age of 35. And if we're looking at this in age in terms of IVF outcomes, There was this one study in Australia and it looked at the chance of a live birth from one complete IVF cycle and it found that the success rate was 43% for women aged 30 to 34, 31% for women aged 35 to 39 and 11% for women aged 40 to 44. So age is important. So if you're kind of sitting on the cusp of maybe you're 35 years old and you're thinking, maybe I should do this, maybe I should wait, it's definitely something that is worth speaking to your doctor about. In in any case, I would say if you are able to do it, get an ovarian reserve test, look at your antral, antral follicle count, look at your AMH levels and get a doctor's opinion on where your fertility roughly is both in terms of for your age and at your age, what that kind of means. Having that data is very, very empowering. And it certainly changed for me the way I thought about things just knowing like where my numbers were relative to what would be expected. The second thing to consider is looking at your options. So this is some of this data is quite sounds quite daunting and quite scary, but I think again it's really important that you're aware of this data. The Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority, so that's HFEA. They're kind of a standard for data within the UK. Suggested that, or they have data that said suggested that women using their own, their own eggs in treatment have a success rate of 18%, one in five. But the HFEA measures success rates based on how many embryos, as developed from frozen eggs, result in a live birth. So how many embryos developed from frozen eggs result in a live birth. But if we look at the number or the success rate of frozen eggs into live births, so that those eggs into live births. Looking at the 2015 data, 2% of all thawed eggs ended up as pregnancies and 0.7% as live births. I think it's very important to recognise those numbers. This There's no opinion from me on any of these numbers. This is literally just the data that we have and I think what's a bit unfair is that I've seen some fertility clinics with slightly different success rates and this data has come from the HFEA and that's they don't have any bias, they don't have kind of anything to sell. It's just about the data that they have. Obviously things are changing, you know, the freezing process is probably being optimised year on year and if you think about people who are maybe taking these eggs and thawing them now, they might have frozen them down five years ago when things were not possibly as good as they are now and in another 10 years we might see these rates change. I don't know. This is probably from the kind of older... Um, time, older times, when we were freezing them before, maybe technology has improved like it has. But again, this is the data. this is have. So in that sense, you might want to consider multiple rounds of egg freezing depending on how many eggs you can get in each cycle. Everyone is different in terms of how many eggs they get each cycle. I I think for me, and, and this is not data, this is reality TV, but I remember watching Keeping Up With Their Kardashians. and I think... Courtney had done some egg freezing and I know now that she's going through IVF, I don't think any of her eggs were successful and Chloe went through egg freezing and none of hers were successful but then she froze down some embryos and as yet, we don't know if any of them are successful and I know that the Kardashians are all for egg freezing Um, but I remember watching it thinking, oh that's interesting, they've got tons of money and it didn't work for them. And I think one of them only managed to freeze down seven eggs because she was in her, I think she was in her late 30s or 80s. And really, I think if you want to freeze down eggs, you want to be getting about 20 eggs and, and that might require multiple rounds of egg freezing. So again, it's worth having your ovarian reserve test done. And there are other options. And remember that there are other options like adoption or fostering or not having children or I know the point of... Any of this is usually because you know that you want children's child garden things, but not always. Um, for reference, a recent study that 23% of frozen embryos transferred resulted in birth, um, which was about 15% higher than those in that study for frozen eggs. So a lot of people are reserved and reluctant to freeze down embryos because it requires sperm. And a lot of people are freezing their eggs in the hope of freezing them for a future partner. But again, it's useful to know um, that there might be slight variations in this. And again, I think I spoke on one of the earlier podcasts about the differences between freezing eggs and freezing embryos. And I think if you want to listen to that, if that's something you're thinking about, then definitely do that. Third thing to consider. Again, we've got some cuts for you. So bear with. I wish that I could have just found all these numbers in one go. So again, that's why I'm sharing them. Even though you might be thinking I'm so bored of her dulcet tones already, I will try not to be monotone when I give you these numbers. So again, looking at the F-A-M-F-H-F-E-A data, here we go. The average cost of a complete egg freezing cycle, including storage and use of the eggs in future treatment, ranges from 7,000 to 8,000 pounds. This is made up from the cost of egg freezing, storage, and using frozen sperm. Eh, eh, sorry, frozen eggs in treatment. Prices range from two thousand seven hundred to three thousand nine hundred for an egg freezing egg cycle, with the average cost for egg freezing being around three thousand three hundred fifty pounds. There's variations in what's included within this cost and most clinics including one or two years of storage. However, those costs do not include the medication required for treatment, which can vary from 500 pounds to thousands. The cost of storing eggs also ranges from 125 to 350 pounds a year. When it comes to using frozen eggs in treatment, costs range from 1,600 pounds to 4,000 pounds with the average being around 2,500 pounds. So that's what you're looking at in terms of the financial costs for one round of egg freezing and potentially on top of that, the medications that you require and the storage. The cost of an av- average IVF cycle in the UK is about £5,000, but you may need to spend an additional to 2000 pounds on sperm donation and any te- extra tests or medications that you choose to have. I've certainly seen in my own journey that I am probably on the upper end of that with a couple of vials of sperm um, some clinics will let you do one, some will recommend multiple multiple vials and then sometimes people will order extra vials if they think they might want to have siblings at a future date and any extra tests, like I said, or any specific medications. However, the cost of raising a child in the UK up to age 18, excluding housing, childcare and council tax is £193.00. Sorry, £193,000 for a lone parents, and £160,000 for a couple. So £193,000 for the overall cost. But again, like I said, it doesn't include housing, childcare or council tax. I'm not sure why government statistics give you that number um, without childcare, council tax and housing, given that you probably are going to need these things. I guess because the amount of, for example, childcare you need is going to vary so greatly. Everything costs money. Everything costs money. And I hate that cost can be a barrier for some people. I know that a while ago, Matt Hancock was talking something like he was open to potentially at some point offering egg freezing for, for women between 30 and 35. And I know that some companies do it. I don't know when or if that will ever be implemented within the UK within my viable lifetime um but it's interesting that they're considering it and great that they're considering it because there are so many more women in this space and you know what like we want women to be in the workforce and we want women to be taken over the world and being able to freeze our eggs will allow us to do that more and to focus more and It's tough because I remember when I was growing up thinking, being told on a TV programme, again, I think I spoke about this in an earlier podcast, you know, I just put my career first and I regret it because now it's really difficult to have children. And I always remember thinking, oh, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that. And then, obviously, I love my career and I love my life and egg freezing or embryo freezing... offers some sort of hope but again it's not based on the numbers and the cost it's not a huge win if that makes sense it's great for people that have the option to do it um but again the, the costs are are extreme and then if you want to add on top of that things like um supplements and acupuncture and you know i work with a lot of people who are trying to manage their health before IVF so like nutrition co- like consultancy and fitness and there's a lot of it added things onto it the next thing that you want to consider is do you have a support network speaking statistics it's more likely to fail IVF and a reason than it is to succeed and and I don't mean that in a pessimistic way that I'm just talking in terms of the stats and hopefully with multiple times or even on your first time it will be successful hopefully you will get the outcome that you want and we can all be hopeful for that but we can't be naive to the fact that that might not happen and more more likely it's not going to happen more than likely you have to do multiple rounds and I certainly am grateful to the support network that I have and I, and I think it can be really tough if you don't have people around you that you can speak to about this, whether it be a partner, whether it be best friends or family. It's really important that you do have that support network around. And, you know, speaking as somebody who is going to go through the major hormonal perturbations that are about to come for my first cycle, I know that I'm going to well I know that I'm going to probably want to be on my own a lot but I know that I'm going to, I need my friends and my business partner and my mum to kind of reassure me Um, but then on the flip side of that, it takes a village to raise a child as they always say And I just think I think this comes down to a little bit about kind of letting people in and not being ashamed of the journey that you're on and trying to be as open as you can and I think it can be tough because we don't always want to be open when we're scared of something failing, we don't want to let people down and we don't want to have to say that something hasn't worked but I think from a personal experience I'd rather be able to talk about it than and say that something didn't work than keep it all to myself. Suppression is so toxic to your relationship with yourself and and food and shame is so toxic to your relationship with self and food and I wish the more and more people I speak to about this, I wish that there wasn't stigma around it still. And I think a lot of the stigma comes from ourselves. But I get some amazing emails from people who listen to this podcast who don't know me from fitness and who say, "Oh, like you've t- you've taken some of the stigma away," and and I and I think it's so important. Because it's an amazing, empowering thing that you are doing or you're even considering doing. Whether that be freezing your eggs or whether that be going through this journey of single mother by choice, whatever it is, it's an amazing thing. But lean on people. Ask for support. Ask for help. Like, when I go through this cycle myself... I know that I kind of, in my head, I think, oh, maybe i just like to be on my own and just do it and just endure my injections and just crack on myself. But actually, I'm forcing myself out of that situation and I'm going to do it around my friends and my family because I know that they'll keep me focused on other things because other things are just as important, if not more important, and will just keep me kind of sane. So it's super important to consider if you've got your support network in any, whichever route you're going down. And finally, consider how your life will change and what you want it to look like. Ask yourself these questions. And I am the biggest advocate for journaling. I think journaling is life changing. It's not a replacement for therapy, but it's a bloody great option that's, that's feasible and accessible and easy and you can do it every day. And You can ask yourself these questions and some questions that I think are great journal prompts for this type of thing is, what do you want your life to look like? If you could visualize what you would like your life to look like, what would it be? What is a perfect day for you? And what would that perfect day look like in five years? Also, what are your values? Always an important question to ask. What's most important to you? Another one would be, what would it feel like if you didn't have that life that you've imagined? What would it feel like if you didn't have children? What would it feel like if you did? And how would you cope with either of those scenarios? I'm really trying to channel kind of your feelings. What would that feel like and look like to you? Because your freedom will change. I read this quote once that said the level at which having a child is going to fundamentally change your life still comes as a surprise to most people i am sure that one day whenever that day may be when i have a child however that may happen even after all the research that i've done even after coming from a family of four children even though i really want it i will be shocked (laughs) at how much my life has to change or gets to change and it's important to figure that out, like what, what are the top five things you love in your life and how would you feel if you couldn't do those top five things anymore, how would a baby change those top five things, for me one of my top five things is travelling, I know that, that would that would have to change, I don't know how it would change but it would change and run through it because it's so easy to fall into, well I should have children or like it's expected of me but run through, run through these things and think, is this important? And if it is, if you go through this question and you say, what would it feel like to not have children and it's heartbreaking, then it's a good indication that maybe it's time to try and do something about it. What can you do about it now? Hopefully, those considerations have been helpful for you. Like I said, I'll probably end up doing another one. Hopefully, I didn't bore you with my dulcet numbers and tone. If you'd like any more information about my coaching or consultancy services or education, then please visit www.emilia.fitness or my Instagram page at emilia thompson phd or www.eiqnutrition.com.